did, did, did you hear me sort of clapping? It's like, dun, 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 dun. Yep, it's totally true. It is Here's totally the thing. True. You may remember last week when we were recording, I was telling you that all of a sudden it, feels like, it felt like they added a new thing mm -hmm. to the ring. It's gone for me again. Is it? Yes. Oh right, because so they you, have the... you've got like the, you've got like the salsa version, mm -hmm. but but I and I'm just getting the regular ring. But I love that you were dancing to the ring. <laughs> the rhythm's gonna get you, Jeff. The rhythm the rhythm is gonna get me. That is totally true. That is just just not unlike uh, Marvel's editorship got Steve Englehart. The rhythm is gonna get me. <laughs> oh wow! That I honestly wanted you to go for a Gloria Estefan and Miami Sound Machine, and instead you you. You took it tortured. <laughs> but bless you. Hello, Whatnuts. Welcome to Baxter Building, episode 37. The end of the Steve Englehart slash John Harkness era. Uh, I am Graham McMillan, and with me, as always, is my much smarter, much more handsome, much more likely to be compared to David Letterman facial hair-wise host, <laughs> Jeff Lester slash SFX Lester. If only. Yeah. Should we just credit you as SFX Lex? I can, because I, can, I can't even say it, apparently. <laughs> no, you're saying it's Jeff Lester from now on. <laughs> okay. Jeff Harkness. Do you want to be Jeff Harkness? Jeff Harkness. I definitely like Jeff Harkness, especially if we can slap, like, an image of me with, like, different colored hair on the top, which I still... <laughs> Jeff Harkness does sound like he should be some sort of, like, private eye. It does. It's the great thing about the name Harkness, really. I mean, Harkness is a pretty awesome name. Like, you, you gotta, you throw a name, Stormy Harkness. Like, it just sort of... I see what you did there. <laughs> you're not You're not getting that one past me. <laughs> Editors, if you haven't been paying attention to who Donald Trump was fucking in 2006, maybe check out the news. Yes. But but he's gone for like Engelhart went for John Harkness, aka Jonathan Hark. No, it was Jonathan Harker in in, in Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. I thought he was being super smart. He's not. Never mind, everyone. <laughs> I thought he was making a literal illusion. He's not. Well, he's used it's, the, I, I, the Harkness Hark. name before. Otherwise, if he was just using it for FF, I feel like there would be like it would be an Agatha Harkness shout out. You know what I mean? Like he's the illegitimate son to Agatha Harkness or something. You know. And and. Because you have now read these issues, you know that John Harkness actually shows up in the comic at the end of the storyline. Yes, which, spoilers, Graham spoiled for me like three episodes ago, but it was delightful to see it because I... Spoilers, it was the last episode, Jeff. Spoilers, not only did I forget which episode <laughs> it was, but I actually forgot that he revealed it to me until I got to that last page, so it was still, it was still delightful. Now that we're done spoiling it for everyone... Spoilers! <laughs> we I may we not be done yet. Oh my God. <laughs> We're doing Fantastic Four, uh, issues 328 through 333, the final six issues of Steve Englehart slash John Harkness's run. And Spoilers! Jeff, 
I don't remember us discussing 327. Did we? We did, right? Was it just like in like 12 and a half seconds? We totally did. It was why. <laughs> you remember? It was called why. Oh, I remember the issue. And looking through it, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we discussed this. Yeah, we totally yeah, did. Well, we, did. We, yeah. we, we totally discussed 327. 327, uh, actually, we should give a recap because this picks up directly from 327. Yeah. At the end of 326, not only had Reed and Sue returned to the team, mm -hmm. but... They're in an attempt to cure Johnny of being permanently flamed on, had gone somewhat awry. Sure, Johnny was fine, but the thing had been transformed back into Ben Grimm again. Yeah. That is why the next issue was called Why? Because he was really upset about being turned back into the thing. Why? He asked. And as he asked that, the Frightful Four had a massive fight with the the powered members of the Fantastic Four mm -hmm. and beat the Rasses because of the last-minute intervention of Aaron the Watcher and the Dragon Man. Mm, yes. I'm glad that we actually did, because otherwise we'd just go straight into 328. Bad dream, or the Fantastic Four fall prey to the Frightful Four and don't get up, as Stanley presents <laughs> Bad Dream. <laughs> and it's fair to say that Steve Englehart, uh, with assistants Keith Pollard and Romeo Tangal, and let me just say to begin with, Jeff, Romeo Tangal's uh, inks throughout this entire run make me miss Just in it so fucking yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's astounding. Mm -hmm. uh, I will throw the splash page to three twenty eight up on the the show notes, and you will see why mm -hmm. Romeo Tangal's inks, which are normally pretty good or or at least better than this, are one well, no, of they're surprisingly light. Like just look at the splash page of three twenty eight, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no Claw and Titania in particular, mm -hmm. there's some really, there's no spot blacks on them. Mm -hmm. it, and they read really weirdly because of that. Claw in particular looks like a coloring book drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and that continues through these run through these issues. Yeah. Uh, Tangle's inks are really, really weirdly off. Yep. Uh, in a way that's, that's genuinely surprising. And... and distracting in the issues i am fascinated by i'm completely convinced that romeo tangal at least in this issue and maybe it's an overall trend that he does does a thing called the eyebrow pass where he just goes through a page and then he makes it a point to ink the person's eyebrows and then meh, he'll see if he needs everything else after that mostly he's like oh, if the I, eyebrows I, work I, I thought you were going to say the opposite because the wizard has blue eyebrows throughout this entire issue. Yes. Yeah, he totally does. Like his eyebrows aren't inked, which is the weirdest well, thing. I think that he decided to like... It's an artistic decision. To yeah, it's an artistic decision. Because like if you look at, um, say, the page where um, Ben and Alicia... Are, yeah, are like moving, you know, basically investigating. Pretty much Ben's eyebrows look like someone took a felt a, a Sharpie to them. And that pretty much moves through most of the pages where they can't even keep Ben Grimm's hair color right. You know what I mean? But like... It's yeah, it's a shoddy issue. Super quickly going through the, the plot synopsis of 320. It's Bad Dream, which works as a meta commentary on the issue itself. Yes. Uh, in terms of titles, the FF have been defeated by the Frightful Four and Aaron the Errant Watcher, who gives very quickly a, a kind of origin 
which is basically, yeah, they kept on telling you how to not to watch Earth. And so I was like, I wonder what's so weird about Earth. And then I watched Earth and I was like, this is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really pretty much is its origin. <laughs> Take out the word fucking and you pretty much have exactly what Aaron says in terms of origin. Uh, he he then has a confrontation with the Frightful Four that of course he loses because the Watcher is super powerful. As the Watcher disappears with the Fantastic Four, the uh, remaining member, Ben Grimm, comes back after going, ah, I'm human, why? And decides he's going to investigate with the help of Alicia and initially She-Hulk, who doesn't say anything like, hey, remember I used to be on this team and I never actually left? Mm-hmm. She's just like, I'm going to make jokes about John Byrne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which actually happens. I'm glad you called. There's a guy named Byrne that's bugging me. He's always underfoot, she says. And the suddenly blonde for no reason, Ben Grimm says, well, he had a crush on you when he wrote the FF comic and all, but listen, I need to know about Dragon Man. Do we all need to know about Dragon Man, Ben? But let's talk for a second about John Byrne being a creep in Steve Englehart's eyes. Fitting, and yet amazingly passive-aggressive. Anyway, Ben and Alicia go looking to the Empire State Building where they believe they're going to find the FF, only for Ben to get nowhere in in his inquiries. And mm-hmm. for Alicia to say, you're not actually talking to anyone. Trust me, I know, because I am blind and somehow superpowered. Ben talks to someone again, and they say, oh, by the way, I'm a shark with arms. And suddenly, I'm a shark octopus, dude. <laughs> because that happens. I'm strangling you. And Alicia says, "You're what are Ben, what are you doing? My blind powers tell me that you're only talking to yourself. And he goes, I'm strangling myself with my belt, which is green for some reason. Yeah. Then... As always happens when you realize you've been strangling yourself some belts, you take off your clothes, reveal you have a superhero costume underneath, go through the nearest door, which just so happens to have the Frightful Four and the Fantastic Four there together, because, of course, yeah. there's a competition where Ben Grimm defeats the entire Frightful Four by himself. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of. Like, they, he... he unleashes the FF again, but he holds his own against the Frightful Four. Yeah, for like a page and a half, which is, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, the Frightful Four takes down the Fantastic Four, but Ben, who has no powers, Mm -hmm. can can lick him with Moxie and a good old-fashioned right hook. He wakes up the FF, the, the FF and Ben win, and just as everything's about to be fine, the Watcher comes back and is like, screw you guys, I've made my own Fantastic Four. And the issue ends with five members of the Fantastic Four who all look like douchebags. That's right. It's meet the new FF, same as the old FF, question mark. <laughs> there's a lot I like about the storyline that comes from this, Jeff. Oh, yeah. But this issue, there's not a lot to like. Am I wrong in saying that? No. Uh, well, no. I mean, on the one hand, it's a jumble. It's goddamn ugly. It makes no sense. There's elements that make just absolutely no sense as, as, you know, Graham's recap just really underscores. Like, again, what is causing Ben to to believe that he's talking to people and the strange shark autoerotic asphyxiation encounter? And why is Alicia immune? No, there's no explanation. Why does he break down the door and he's above the lab and can jump down and, and like, kick people no idea there's well, well here's here's the thing even if you're giving it the most generous interpretation mm-hmm. ben is 
hallucinating because he's so close to the Frightful Four's lair. Mm-hmm. But even that doesn't make sense because which member of the Frightful Four right now, exactly. which is Wizard, Titania, Hydra Man, and Claw, right. has the ability to make people hallucinate. Right. My theory, such as it is, that did not get explained would be that the the Empire State Building was shown to be the hideout of Aaron the Watcher. He leaves uh, with the cell samples that he's taken from the Fantastic Four, leaving the Frightful Four in basically Aaron's lair and presumably with the defenses that Aaron the Watcher has set up, which is to say that he can convince people that they are having rational, reasonable conversations that are arguing them away from... um, basically overlooking from, from his, his yeah. yeah yeah so i mean you can, it, but, but but why do they why does they then turn into a shark octopus man right i i think the idea where does that be, come into it i think it's that idea of like once he get once ben manages to make it past the first level level of defense then there's the second level of defense you know and again it's up to alicia to be able to defeat him you know of course again alicia does have weirdo superpowers but she's also posited in this run of issues of being aaron's antithetical opposite but but that's because aaron is the watcher and alicia literally can't watch exactly exactly yep so so they're they are they're opposites alicia also has hair and Aaron does not. So basically, if you think about it, they're opposites in every single way, really. Every single way. <laughs> Worth again, this is retconning in the future. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, this also isn't Alicia. You know what? Let's let's get there because I'm fascinated by the fact that um, I don't know about that retcon. Thanks to this batch of issues, I just see Engelhart's proposed retcon. And I want to be able to talk about that. Uh, yeah, well, get there. I, yeah, Engelhart is an amazing retcon later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not a good issue. Like, and it's it's we said this on the last episode about the previous issue about mm-hmm. three twenty seven that it felt very much like Engelhart is literally doing what he's been told, which is write a superhero comic where people fight. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's you know, true. I, right. I, I think that's what this issue feels like as well. Like, it, it's, it feels very perfunctory. You know, it's funny you mention that, Graham, because I feel there's two things that I feel. One is, overall, I thought all of the art uh, on the, these this set of issues was just flat-out god-awful. But um, that had a, has a weird, weirdly reading them on Marvel Unlimited, where there's basically a page by page beat to it. Um, they, it's really dull and static. When I when I then turned around for the second time around and read the good reader versions, which allow you, you to read it like a regular comic with double page spreads, um, or just two pages side by side, the pages gained a certain amount of you know just sort of energy at least in an empty visceral way because and i'm glad because if i hadn't read those i really would have pinned it on um the team of of pollard and tangal one of the things that's frustrating to me about this issue is i think that um Engelhart, by this point has had his has done some pretty good i'm the depowered hero 
who's still a hero turns. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he's done that very well before in in Green Lantern and West Coast Avengers. And so this really should have been like right in his um, wheelhouse where Ben Grimm is basically like, yeah, I'm the thing. You know, I'm no longer the thing, but I'm Ben Grimm. So I got more of a brain than people think. I, you know, I'll never give up. And I'm a bit more of a scrapper than you would think. And so... It sh I think part of the problem is is like this should have could have been a little bit of a highlight that you know I sort of feel like it's the last little gasp of of Engelhart um, kind of being snuffed out and all that's going to be left from here on out is just withering shade you know like oh that's interesting I feel the next few issues are actually pretty Engelharty. Interesting. And I feel, in a way, that I feel this issue is not. So funny. Well, it could could be that they are super Englehearty, but they're Englehart, but it's it's like meta Englehart. You know what well, I mean? Well, yeah, that's just it. Like the, by the time that the the new slash old FF show up in the final page, yeah, you are. The, it is the introduction to we're going very meta for the final few issues of this run, right? And you know, by the time you get three twenty nine, and especially three thirty. You realize quite how meta it gets. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it gets astonishingly meta. It it gets so meta uh, at but, one but, point but you the, can't the, tell if Englehart himself is confused. Oh, well, by the time he gets his final issue, that's a a mess. Mm -hmm. uh, but three three twenty eight feels. Um, just not as interesting as what follows. No, of course not. I I totally agree, and I think I told you I feel like. I feel that for all intents and purposes, um, you're absolutely right in terms of what comes is Englehart doing um, a lot of casting shade and a lot of meta stuff that is really interesting. But in terms of him, like, there's no character investment that, that happens after 328. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he... no, and, and, and amazingly intentionally. Yes, exactly. And so for me, I feel like 328, although you're right that it's kind of pat, I feel like by the same token, this is the last little bit of what I see of like as Engelhart, the dude who is letting his characters tell the story, I suppose, or letting, giving his characters the moments that that you know he has sort of semi planned for them like the other stuff that goes on to happen as you see in the imaginary stories in the in the dream sequences that happen have little bits and beats and moments you know even surprisingly so by i guess the time you get to 333 but um or maybe it's 332 i forget but but this is the last one. I mean, it's clear from his dream sequences. He really did plan to have Ben turned back into the uh, Ben Grimm thing, turn into Ben Grimm again. And for that to be a major wrench in his and Sherry's relationship. Yes. And in a way that he had, he had planned to close out, mm -hmm. you know, well, that's what's so interesting. You see, and at this point, we've turned into a meta conversation because we're talking about issues we haven't read yet. Right. But you see in 333, uh, 31, 332, Englehart revealed that almost all of the things that we've been talking about 
he was taking them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, 328 is the last issue that theoretically, quote-unquote, counts. Mm-hmm. Because 329 is essentially a story of the fake FF. Yeah. And then the next three issues after that is a story of the real FF's dreams, a.k.a. where Englehart would have taken the book had he had the chance. Right. Which leaves one issue left for literally the fights to clean up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the character development is over as of this issue. Mm-hmm. The problem being, for me, the character development is over because there's no real character development here. Like you say, the the it should be a Ben Grimm story and it should be a rewarding Ben Grimm story because Englehart does do the you don't need powers to be a hero story yeah, right. very well. But here he just doesn't. This yeah. is not good. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can see that. I, I, I think th- I think that's a good point. Um uh but but yes, I can see see you not really being down with it. But it's um, you know I I wasn't crazy about it either. People who do remember me talking about um, the you know issue three twenty seven, which apparently does not include me, uh, know <laughs> that one of my things is is that the the return of the frightful four felt like a signifier and a signifier of a particular return to the FF pre sort of Kirby's quantum leap, um, <coughs> and. And so I feel like uh, there's a there's a little bit of like it it wasn't really um, it wasn't really frying my burger anyway. Let's put it that way. The storyline. I just feel that from the diminished expectations of three twenty seven to three twenty eight, I at least feel like Engelhart is like okay. Well, let me at least get this one last item checked on my to do list. You know, I can still get the story of Ben being a heroic leader, and then I can I can still sort of snatch defeat from the jaws of victory or vice versa depending on how you want to well but and that and that's just it for me that it doesn't it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know like if that is his intent i wish he'd done it i wish he'd done it basically yeah yeah well let's move on to 329 where things do get weirder um here they are dr reed richards Ben Grimm, Susan Storm Richards, Johnny Storm, Sharon Ventura, The Fantastic Four, Stanley Presents Bad's Dream Part 2, and you can't wake up. Mm-hmm. There is, as we were just saying, there is a very meta element to that opener. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it does call back to the early days of the book. And the the we are following the fake FF for this issue, which isn't really clear for the first three or four pages mm-hmm. because there is an explanation, uh, an admittedly very thin explanation, intentionally so, as to how Ben Grimm is suddenly the thing again. Mm-hmm. He basically says, when we beat the Fright of Four, their doomsday device blew up, Reach transformed the radiation to save us, and changed me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Which theoretically could have happened between issues. Mm-hmm. But... but Obviously, isn't this is the fake Fantastic Four? But you see how the fake Fantastic Four is the old Fantastic Four very quickly. Mm-hmm. That all of them are just off in just enough way for you to be like, "Oh, this isn't right." Yeah, which I really like. I, I... really like the, the the first three pages are the old school Fantastic Four, and you're like, "Oh, but no." Yeah, like the characters have evolved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, exactly. I, I, I adore how, um, Ben basically starts off most of his, most of his dialogue by saying, bah, <laughs> right. Which is so old school yeah. thing. You know, or not even like saying it like starting it off. He's literally his punctuation. Yes. Like in this the second and third page, in both cases, other people are saying stuff, and he just goes bah, bah. out of nowhere, which I love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but uh, you'll notice what we were talking about a little bit uh, at the bottom of page three, where Ben says, "What good is someone who can't at least watch?" At least watch. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's that's one of the nice parts of this. You have a three-page opener, which is theoretically the FF telling Alicia everything's fine. Yeah. And when she leaves, they all basically say, "Yeah, she's she's no good. Yeah. She's just she's not like us." Yeah. And, and literally uh, at the end of that that third page, like if she ever understands what's happened here, we'll have to kill her. So. And fake Ben says, "I'll kill her myself." Bah. <laughs> Yeah, bah, I'll kill her myself, which is is wonderfully creepy. Yeah, yep. You know that that it, it, it they have such disregard for anything other than themselves. Mm-hmm. Like who who knew that the FF as sociopaths would be scary? Yeah, and yet they they are right. Which which I I I really appreciate. I really like. Yeah. Uh, the scene then cuts back to Aaron and Dragon Man. I I think it's worth saying here. Dragon Man serves no purpose in this story. Uh, yeah, Dragon Man's it's, interesting. It's, like, I expect at some point Dragon Man to like do something to earn being in the story, because Dragon Man's a character. Do you know what I mean? Like, he has he has characteristics at least. Right. No, uh, no, no. I agree. And previously, he served a purpose. Yeah. And in this storyline, his purpose is to listen to Aaron uh, soliloquize. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. That's yeah. all he does. Yeah. Uh, which is it's kind of light down. Anyway, sure. It turns out that Aaron has the FF and the Frightful Four mm-hmm. all in tubes asleep, where he is going to watch their dreams. Actually, if I sorry, I actually have to jump in. That's that's not actually what's happening. I think Graham. That's what ends up happening later. But my understanding is is that he he puts the FF in cold storage. Literally. Oh, so he them again. Exactly. So that if his clones get injured, he can like use the cell scrapings from the originals to basically recreate. You are, yeah. You are entirely right. The, the dream thing comes in the next issue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, what he's doing is he's more or less created what he ends up calling in later issues action figures. That, that the FF are, um, the clones are, are guys that he's going to put through uh, adventures, and he's basically going to make them have the same adventures that they had all over again. So the very first thing he does is makes them decide that they're going to go hunt up the Mole Man because that was their first adventure, and this is the first adventure. The clones themselves are actually incredibly confused as to what's happening to them now and what happened to them then. Which is which, which is again wonderful. Yeah, they know that things have happened, yet they don't quite know it. Mm-hmm. So you see the FF going into Monster Island, and and Ben says, "I lived here before, you know." Mm-hmm. And and reads, "How can that be?" Oh yes, in many ways, this seems like a dream to me. Mm-hmm. And then two page uh, a page later, 
you have Johnny say, I don't know why my sister goes out with a philosopher. Or wait, you two are married now. Yeah. And these little lapses mm-hmm. are, are delicious. Yeah. They're so much fun because it n- never stops underscoring how the characters have changed and evolved. Mm-hmm. And also how alien this Fantastic Four is. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, I love it that they're imperfect clones, but they're imperfect in such an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very, very much so. Um, Yeah, you know, honestly, it is one of those things where uh, I, I would have liked to have a few more adventures with the sociopathic FF. In fact, in a way, this is such a um, weird prelude to things like Superior Spider-Man and stuff like that. You know, like, honestly, the days where Marvel would have taken the replaced the FF with the sociopathic FF and then had the sociopathic FF be in control of the book for like a year or more, you know, or, or you know, if this had happened even two years later, mm-hmm. you can very much imagine them doing a spin off series of the sociopathic FF. Right. Oh wow! That you know, be, yeah. where they're like, "This is the frightful four. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. With a hologram cover. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, <laughs> they, they're they're weirdly just too early, and yet they're they are, as you said, like weirdly avatars of of trends to come. Yeah. Yeah. In their weird way, they really are. Uh, speaking of trends to come, uh, I miss the fact that we mentioned the dreams start next issue but in fact we do have two pages of of ben having his the real ben having a dream inside his little um you know absolute zero tube and uh having dreams of where Engelhart wanted to take him and uh sherry and it's very much them having a very contentious relationship um in part because basically both of them view the other one as lesser now that one's human and the other one is still just a thing. As much as they want to care for each other, they have their own biases getting in the way of things. Well, it's 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 Ben and you see Ben and Sherry's dreams. Oh, is it Sherry's dream? It, You're right. Sherry yeah, is on the see, next see, page. You're you right. See, you see mm-hmm. Ben for, for like half a page and you see Sherry for half a page. Yeah. And... In both cases, they are having versions of the same conversation. That's right. But in each of the versions, they are disappointed in the other one. Well, actually, I mean, Ben's version ends with him saying, you mean you don't want me to be happy? And Sherry's picks up with her saying, what about my happiness? So I think it is the same (laughs) scene, right? Or no? I I think it's... uh... It might be. It's very... The dreams are very weird because you can theoretically take it that... Because definitely when I read this, first of all, Mm -hmm. years and years and years ago, I thought they were all having the same dream. Mm -hmm. But then there is a line in 333 which just says that can't be the case. Yeah. Because Ben asks Johnny what he was dreaming. Right. That's right. But before that, I thought all of them were sharing the same dream. Yeah. But the reason the reason I think they're having different versions of the same dream is look at the body language in their two dream sequences. Yes, Ben is much more um, dominant mm-hmm. in his dream, 
Mm-hmm. And then when you cut to Shari's dream, he is much more. I mean, look at that first panel. Right. Shari is 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 aggressively in his face, and he's leaning back mm-hmm. in a submissive pose. Right. And so I really think what it is is they're getting different versions of the same situation. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But again, who can tell? Yes. The the reason I think that like the dreams really start in the next issue is the start in the next issue. The dreams take up the majority of the issue. That's right. And are also presented differently. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. here they are literally like weirdly colored. Yeah. And you see them for half the page. And it's more like, you know, scenario as opposed to it's stories starting in the next issue. Yeah, which is very um, strange. I, I sort of like this approach. I mean, the other things have pluses and minuses in the future issues. But this issue, I think, has a pretty good balance, uh, particularly because... Um, you know, meanwhile, the the Fantastic Four basically shows up, encounters the Mole Man, and he's like, hey, you guys, don't worry about me. I'm okay. Last time you saw me, the Lava Men had pulled me into their molten realm, but they knew about my heat-resistant suit. They just wanted to keep me from leading my Moloids against them, but uh, I'm okay, and the concern that you guys showed me made me think that, like, you know what? Maybe I've turned a corner. I should... um you know, maybe I should try and create peace with the with the surface people. And you guys have really taught me a valuable lesson about sharing. To which Ben says, bah, I'll kill him. And then everyone more or less fucks up uh, all of the Mole Men's minions. And the Mole Man, perhaps understandably, decides that, um, that basically people are turds. So. Well, but, but again, speaks to the entire point of of this plot mm-hmm. which is Engelhart saying Aaron aka Marvel yeah. is not letting people evolve yeah. they would rather they had action figures in mm-hmm. his terminology uh, that reset the status quo they, they don't care about characters who grow mm-hmm. they, they want to tell the same stories over and over again with minor differences mm-hmm. and that they give uh, lip service to to evolution. One of the nicest things we were talking before about the how the characters uh like don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. and like make comments about that mm-hmm. uh is Johnny talking about Ms. Marvel? Yes. And her name? Mm-hmm. Because Reed calls her Miss Marvel. Yes. M I S S. And Johnny says, I'm I'm glad somebody says her name right. She keeps slurring it's Ms. Marvel. Sounds like being a female thing made her tongue as thick as her arms. Mm -hmm. And there's something, again, super creepy, but wonderful about the misogyny there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because again, it's underscoring the, this is the old Fantastic Four. Yes. Yeah, this is very much the Fantastic Four that you and I were complaining about during, you know, vast stretches of the Stanley era. You know. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and Engelhart is pointedly saying this isn't the characters you want to read. Mm-hmm. As he's being forced to turn the book into that, he is pointedly saying these aren't. This isn't who you want to read. Mm-hmm. You don't want these versions of the characters. You don't want the past. Now, do you feel do you, do you feel that it's a specific? Because I'm I'm fascinated by the idea that he is. Is is he sort of passive aggressively, sort of deliberately misunderstanding what the editor editors are asking for? You know, 
in in the sense of like you know is he basically or is he saying like look if you're saying you want me to go back with these characters that's no direction like we might as well just take them back to the beginning when they're all like you know shit bags or and this is something that i'm just spitballing i don't think it's necessarily the case but i do think that it's interesting that uh, his characterization and where he brings the characters back is kind of right back to where burn brings the ff you know burn rolls oh, do you the think back. no i i I took it more as he's bringing the characters back to, as we were saying last episode, just before Kirby got super creative. Mm-hmm. I don't... You know, like before the, the Galactus era, before mm-hmm. the Inhumans, just before that, where everything feels just off, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it, because that, at least in my reading, and again, this is me projecting strongly onto what Engelhart's doing, but that is is a uh, that's where the book starts to evolve, right? You know, where the book starts pushing past its its own cliche. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think you might be right. On the other hand, I sort of feel that, particularly in some aspects, particularly the fact that Ben is in Ba version. That's to me a much more consistent view of like the first twelve to twenty issues of the FF, you know, and he be, he, he starts yeah, no, to become more right. lovable. Yeah. So, but I but I don't know, and it's and it's it's kind of moot. I don't think I think the the point that 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 Engelhart is making, I think first and foremost is about evolution, and secondly, maybe sort of uh, um kind of a mean riff on burn um you know in at least sort of in an inside out kind of way but but yeah I, I agree i think the ultimately what matters is is what he's trying to say about the ff um so uh, the other reason why i didn't think uh that these guys were all having the same dream is uh when we move to issue 330 <laughs> that ends in a very different way then I, you know, part of me is like, okay, that couldn't have been where Engelhart was really planning on taking things unless he really was. I don't, I don't know. I mean, do you know anything about, should we talk about 330, the next issue, or do you still have more that you want to break down about 329? Not really. The short version is the fake FF, not only turn the mole man away from making peace with the, the surface world they kind of they apparently destroy monster island yeah yeah they they <laughs> like, raise like, it outright out right, out right destroy monster island yeah which which feels uh simultaneously like too much but also weirdly in tune with those early effects yeah yeah absolutely you know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, of course they destroy the island. Uh, but no, you're right. Three three thirty is where we start getting the most dramatic dreams, which seems at first blush to be where Engelhart was going to take the the Doctor Doom storyline that he he abandoned. But spoilers, everyone ends with the destruction of Earth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is just crazy, just crazy, crazy shit. Here's know? the thing. It's supposed to be Sue's dream. Yeah. How does Sue dream a dream that ends with the destruction of the planet she's on and a crying watcher? (laughs) 
I this actually yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, three thirty is a whole bag of confusion. There's a point where good dreams. We should just say it's called good dreams. Mm-hmm. Yes, good dreams. Uh, good dreams. Uh, is is hilarious because as the title goes it's almost entirely a dream sequence issue that again you know we've been tipped off that Engelhart is kind of like this is where I would have taken the run which uh, more or less Doom and Kristoff the, their, their battle leads to an all out war in Latveria where Doom has recruited a bunch of super powered um Miscreants. Miscreants, yeah. Miscreants. Some, of, some of them are mercenaries. Some of them are allies with him, uh, presumably for magical reasons. So, some of them, like the Dread Dormammu, are just like, <laughs> what? Or yeah, like the Hulk who's who's there because he insists that he's... Um, he, uh, you know, I, he I think I honestly think you could just leave that sentence there. Yeah. And that, that makes about as much sense as the actual story. <laughs> he's there... Um, uh, the end. Yes, right. Whereas on the other hand, Kristoff, who it turns out at so basically this big pile of supervillains led by Doctor Doom launches this enormous battle and attack on Castle Doom, only to find that Kristoff Doom has himself gotten a whole bunch of supervillains, and they're just going to continue to fuck shit up. And then weirdly, the part that that confuses the living fuck out of me is is that in Sue's dream, which makes no sense, the FF are alerted to what's happening um, and basically are like, don't give us any shit. We have to hunt up the scrolls. We're interested in the scrolls. We've been told we have to fight the scrolls next. We don't actually end up fighting Doctor Doom until issue five. And it's and then it basically just cuts back to the Doom Kristoff stuff. And I'm like, why was that in there? What's happening? Like, it really was one of those things, Graham, where I was like, why would Sue dream about those guys in her dream if her dreams are about where she was supposed to be if they weren't there? Like... Well, that's that's one of my favorite things about this, which is, you think like it actually seems like Engelhart forgot that that was the dream sequence. I, I it almost feels like it did, or the or the artist got confused, uh, and drew the wrong FF in there, and so he had to put different words in their mouth or something. Like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, clearly the whole point of the Doom War is the FF aren't involved. And after a bunch of supervillain punch-outs, the only real thing that the Dooms can progress to is nuclear annihilation. Um, and so, of course, you get the the in, uh, the Watcher doing the classic sad Indian um, weeping on the moon. Which, let's face it, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, either Sue Storm has like the most perverse subconscious of anyone... You know, I mean, let's face it, in in story, like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Out of story, it's amazing how much the colorist cannot track this many characters, isn't it? Like, it's oh, an it's, absolute it's the, delight. The, on the GID core version, you realize how bad the coloring is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Doctor Doom repeatedly goes from, in the same scene, wearing green robes to purple robes. Yeah, 
purple robes. Like he's just they're just like like the Hulk's pants change color, Dorma moves wrong, like no one can figure out. Like it's it really is and I mean it's hilarious because everyone really is just purple, green, and gray for the most part, you know. But like I don't think the colorist can recognize the Dread Dorma move. I I don't think the colorist knows who that character well, is. Part part of me wonders if there's some weird printing problems that Maybe. somehow made made for example dr doom should not literally change color in his costume yeah that often that makes no sense yeah so if there's a weird like color because think about it if you switch the colors around and green became pur uh, purple mm -hmm. and it's versa on those pages everyone would be wearing the right color yeah i think i think you're right i think some maybe and, the wrong plate got dropped or something but that it happens like three or four times in the issue is crazy yeah yeah because it does it happens repeatedly right um yeah, everything about this issue is just wacky. <laughs> wacky on so many levels. Yeah. This can't be where uh, Engelhart was planning to leave the Doom story. Mm -hmm. I quite believe that we saw a lot of it and he took it to an extreme. As in, Engelhart planning a story where it turns out it's Doctor Doom and his army of superheroes versus Kristoff and it becomes an international incident. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yes. Totally see that. Yep. That it leads to the destruction of Earth? Maybe not so much. You know... And the idea that the destruction of Earth is something that Sue dreams about mm -hmm. is is just... What? Yes. Like, what? That woman is nihilistic as shit. Well, okay, so Graham, I wanted to ask you something because... Please do. My my curiosity, my theory is, and it may not actually be one, is to take Steve Englehart at his word. And uh, for those of you who are wondering, uh, you know, because we, I believe, because we mentioned it on previous uh, installments, it's worth mentioning that that some of um, our understanding of what Englehart is doing in these stories is based on the commentary that he provides at steveenglehart.com. So you can kind of go look up his Fantastic Four commentary and get a strong sense of things. What I think, and I, I could be wrong, but I feel he introduced Aaron and Dragon Man early enough in his run that he was not going to go to this particular place with them. Oh, yeah. So, so something else was going to happen. Right. So I, I kind of wonder, like... Because I mean, clearly there's no other place that where where they really seem to pop up. And Englehart, being an improviser, could have you know put them in any number of different places. But this is the only one where I feel like the idea of the Dooms escalating, the number of supervillains and superheroes getting involved, and um. Aaron's comment both about action figures and um, doing like at one point in one of the issues he's like yeah maybe I'll have like a big super powered crossover where all the, the heroes and villains fight each other wouldn't that be something which feels like you know a dig on Secret Wars, Secret Wars 2, and I, I assume Englehart's belief that the idea that they are in the business, Marvel is more concerned about selling toys, and that's what's forcing them to basically tamp down on, on 
genuine creativity as he sees it. But part of me also wonders if that storyline that 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 Aaron's comments there and the stuff between Doom and Kristoff um, is actually building to a kind of semi-Secret Wars 3 type thing with Aaron pulling the strings and manipulating figures and it really does end up being something that ends up getting out of control and he ends up having to you know use all of his watcherly powers to sacrifice himself and more or less um undo the destruction of the earth yeah i I think i still shy away from the idea that it was going to end up with the destruction of the earth i think so too because it is kind of like "Mm." it's so you know even with the idea of like but he had a plan to put it back it still feels like too much right you know the if you're suggesting and i'm not sure that you are but it's a reading i'm taking from what you're saying that Engelhart is in part writing this particular issue as a parody of Marvel's intent and Marvel's desires. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a reading you could take with this issue because the idea that a conflict between the two dooms yeah. is going to bring in, uh, as it does before things end, the Eternals and the Deviants mm-hmm. feels itself very much out of scope with with what has been going on but in scope of if you want to parody the idea that everything is a crossover mm-hmm. i just keep coming back to this is just a really weird comic yes like, it is it, a really it, weird comic yeah the next two issues are feel much more in line with everything everything else Engelhart was doing mm-hmm. and this one feels more like Engelhart is like well i need to provide some sense of closure well the, the, the irony being of course there's no closure. Right. It's all the dream sequence. Yeah. The other thing that I wonder about is, is that the idea that Engelhart might be parodying the idea of the, the what if story, you know, because a lot of what if stories is, you know, end with the destruction of the earth and usually with the watcher crying. And, but it, it, they also open of course, with the watcher starting, you know, basically watching and explaining what he's doing. So in that sense, it almost feels, particularly in that when the Eternals and the Deviants and Thor and Submariner showed up, it really does remind me of the, that amazing, you know, what if Korvac had defeated the Avengers, where essentially, you know, things just continue to escalate and escalate and escalate until, you know, eternity itself is wiped out, you know, so, um, so yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, it's got a lot of weird stuff in it. Also, I don't think that you have um, much interest in this particular point, but uh, I'm trying to think which issue it is. 329 uh, is is the um, return of Rich Buckler to the FF, and he ends up drawing these issues with Romeo Tengal inks. He actually, I know, popped up uh, for one issue earlier, um, but he's back in force. Oh, right, the the Surfer's Christmas Tale. He's here, and without uh, John Basima um, panels of the Silver Surfer to rip off, he seems uh, horribly adrift here. As someone who really enjoyed his work in his first initial run, yeah. Well, I want to uh, point out that we will, and this is either Engelhart being a wonderfully meta, or Rich Buckler not really either being in on the joke mm-hmm. or more likely really not being in on the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you get some great Reed Richards uh, swipes. In particular, the same John Buscema Reed Richards swipe appears in 329 and 333. Oh, really? The same one. Exactly the same one. Oh, man. Which one is it? Uh, It's Reed stretching around a corner while shouting. Ah, okay. Okay, I'll have Uh, to look for that. And it, it's it's wonderful in a storyline which is all about like moving forward and evolving. Yes. And being trapped in the past. And you have Rich Buckler, who really is a big fan of, wait, I'm sure I've got this somewhere on my light box. Yes. Yeah. Well, I actually, one of the things that breaks my heart as a dude who, who has a, a lot of fondness for Buckler is seeing... Oh, God. I mean, to me, the part that hurts is not people are like, oh, ha, 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 here's Rich Buckler doing, you know, sort of ripoffs of John Basima and, you know, basically being a pale shadow of John Basima and Jack Kirby. But in these issues, Rich Buckler is being a pale shadow of Rich Buckler, and it's heartbreaking to me. But is, is it not fair to say that Rich Buckler's initial run in this book was also filled with swipes? Oh, heavily so. Hugely so. I mean, that's the thing. The swipes that he was doing in his first run on FF are um, blatant, but, I don't know, weirdly competent in a way that the stuff here is gone. Is Things have just go well, awry. You 330 know? in particular is a really bad issue for Buckler because there's so much that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. He he has to get an awful lot of information on the page. Yeah. And when he's doing like seven panel pages, mm-hmm. Buckler is it really is restrained. Like mm-hmm. he, he really does have trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrific story in that regard, you know, in the sense of you're literally he's literally having to draw, you know, a dozen figures on the page, but that's like one panel out of five, you know? Like it's just it's in that sense, it's kind of brutal. But what I find fascinating is the opening pages are, um, I don't know, you know, at some point Buckler changed his style and then changed his style again and then I guess changed it like one more time. But the stuff that we're looking at here, it reminds me if I think back to um, the stuff that he was doing with uh, Peter Parker, I guess, you know, he, d- he does the Sin Eater storyline is, is Buckler doing the art on that. And I forget if it's Bob Layton inking him, but you know, at some point Buckler's ability to draw faces goes through a, a real shocking metamorphosis to, for me. And it really feels like a, a huge, if he's not relying on Kirby swipes to draw Doom, he he almost doesn't, or like you said, like, you know, a Basima swipe to do Reed Richards, he kind of almost doesn't have anything in his toolbox to draw a face that makes it look yes. like... he doesn't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's it's stunning to me. Like, it really is one of those things that I don't... I'm just like, wow, what happened? So it it does... I don't think that in any way it's intentional, but it does add to the idea of of Engelhart being like deja vu is a nightmare. You know what I mean? Like this idea of well, like that, nostalgia is a nightmare. Like I I don't think Buckler's playing into this at all. Right. 
Or that's not true. I don't think Buckler is intentionally playing into this no, at all. No, exactly. But Buckler's art and use of swipes in this storyline mm-hmm. really underscores what Engelhard is complaining about. Well, or it should be underscoring it, but considering it's in the issue that's about Engelhardt's moving forward things, it kind of actually underscores it and undercuts it at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit, to me, it reinforces this idea of, like, A, it doesn't matter how progressive you want to be when you're when you're writing the comic, you're only one of several members of the team, and if you're, you know, I don't know, if you're Joe Sinnott who's inking, or when it's Rich Buckler who's drawing, or it's Ralph Macchio who's editing, and they have a different idea of what the book is supposed to be, you don't really have full control over that. The fact that Good Dreams looks like a weird mishmash of 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 recycled art and failure is not, I think, what Englehart would have wanted his dream and hoax issues to look like. You know what I mean? I think he would have wanted them to look like something new. No, I think he would have. I think he the idea that they look so retro works for him i think where it should look like something new is when the team wakes up again in 333 mm. mm-hmm. that's the failure for me mm-hmm. interesting that that, that that when they wake up it still looks the same mm-hmm. um and it's it's so telling and we'll get there in 333 the final page mm-hmm. of 330 it is provides a visual break mm-hmm. that that me as a reader that i have been looking for the entire storyline Mm-hmm. The only problem being, of course, it happens when Engelhardt is, has literally on the page left the book. Yeah, right. You know exactly the page um, after he's gone. Yeah, let's let's go straight into three thirty one. Uh, Good dreams part two: the menace of the metal man. <laughs> Jeff, you'll remember last episode I told you that Reed Richards' home computer was foreshadowing I would pay off. Shit, man. I got to tell you, isn't this the greatest payoff? It is like it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. I fucking kicked myself for not seeing that one. It, it, it's so wonderful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We are in this time. We're in Reed Richards' dream. Uh, the issue actually opens with the fake Fantastic Four interrupting a magic show, mm-hmm. uh, and and Reed Richards being fake Reed Richards being a wonderful dick saying you see everyone the performer's wand was actually an electronic device he cannot truly perform miracles but the Fantastic Four can that's right which is perfect like genuinely perfect oh that's right Reed Richards can be a dick and all of the time yeah I love it I really genuinely love it especially when Reed then says that everyone has to pay $50 in order for the Fantastic Four just to do their job yeah so great anyway we then cut to Reed Richards dream the earth is still about Therefore, suggesting that we're not all watching the same dream. Yes. Also, notably, Ben and Sherry have a much better relationship mm-hmm. than they do in either Ben or Sherry's dreams. Mm-hmm. Reed can't stop fucking talking about the Torino XL, his home computer, which he loves. He's like, I built amazing computers, but this computer is the best. I can't believe anyone can get this computer. It's available everywhere. It's the, the Torino XL. It's the shit. Yeah, he would say if he could say shit. Meanwhile, as Ben and Shari decide that they should leave because Reed clearly wants to make love to his computer, they're almost killed when the elevator plunges to its doom 
stopped only by Sharon sticking her hand outside of the elevator and, and grasping it to the halt. Reed, appalled by what's going on, tells everyone, you guys, get back here and climb the stairs because elevators are clearly dicks. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this was so much more fun when I had thing legs. But they do it anyway. Reed is, is investigating all of the Baxter building to see what's going on. He's like, it, it, it makes no sense. I don't understand it. And then Franklin, thankfully, still being called Frank because mm-hmm. that, that Engelhardt is going to stick to that if it kills him. <laughs> it's like, you guys, uh, I, I look, I made the name of your computer on my Scrabble board, Torino XL, and Reed knocks it over and goes, oh, but look, look the letters have got scrambled. It says Ultron 11. <laughs> the greatest reveal ever yeah. because as soon as he says that the Torino XL turns itself into Ultron yep who says just like those toys eh Franklin Richards those toys that seem to be one thing until they unfold onto another but Ultron 11 is no toy it's fucking great it's so great I years after I first read this I still think it's one of the greatest reveals. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's awesome. It really is so good, so much fun, and just, yeah, it is it is one of those, like, ah, what what could have been, you know? Like, even though it is, really, so it's it's Englehart getting, you know, to have his cake and eat it, it too. Yeah. yeah, he really does. Yeah. To be like, this is really happening. But for all intents and purposes... This is a straightforward issue of his yeah, Fantastic Four. Exactly. So, because, I mean, yeah. Because the team faces off against Ultron, who takes control of the, the Four Freedoms Plaza, mm-hmm. uh, including their robot secretary, who decides that she is going to uh, try and kill the team, which I love. Yeah. Uh, and Sharon destroys Ultron, leading everyone to be like, wow, you're even stronger than Ben. Ben could never do that. And Sharon's like, well, he's not adamantium. Yes. He's turned himself from a, like a computer into a robot. He's clearly not adamantium. What are you talking about? Yeah. But it's it's a happy ending, which I love. Mm-hmm. Like it, it happens. And the, the end of the issue is, and the end of the dream, more importantly, is Reed's hugging Ben, Sharon, Sue, and, and Franklin mm-hmm. and saying, what a team. What a wonderful, wonderful team. Yeah. And I, I really like that. I love that it is, for all intents and purposes, a straightforward issue of Engelhardt's FF that has a happy ending. But also that Reed's dream, for all that I was like, you know, why would Sue dream the Doctor Dream story? Mm-hmm. Where she doesn't even appear. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes literally no sense. But I love that Reed's dream is the dream where the Fantastic Four works. Yeah. And a happy ending, and they're a family, and they're a happy family, and that there aren't the dysfunctional relationships, which are in everyone else's dream. Well, but I think one of the things that's interesting about it is is that, that it is also, but it's also very much Engelhart's idea. Like, Engelhart is the one who's saying, what a team, what a wonderful, wonderful team. And the exactly. very next panel is the caption, but of course, it's just a dream not allowed to really happen, which is just... Again, the amount of shade uh, is right, and 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 then and with the, the next caption beyond that, and exciting as the dream has been, it hasn't brought readers a single step closer to ever awakening. Yeah. So he's really like, you know, no, this was exciting. This was a great story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. 
Right, because, which is a good point. And it does lay the groundwork for the idea of, like, Johnny's dream is the dream that actually wakes them up. And it is actually the dream that is about, again, continuing to take the relationships and progress them. Like, this is this is an important part. It's interesting, because I wondered in a way if... Um, one of the things that's really enjoyable about this story is is that it has a really good point, which is is that Sharon is was the brains of the team when Reed was gone, and she's the one who yes. figures out how to beat Ultron. And it's it's in a way it ends up being a very nice little, you know, it underscores the point that he's making with Reed that is is that Sherry is a great part of the team that she is something that's different. She's not something that you can get by just having Ben or Reed because she can kind well, of do both things. Yes, and she's not just she thing. Mm-hmm. You exactly. know, which, which which no one on the team ever really calls her, but which the fans were calling her. Mm -hmm. You know, where they really were just like, oh, she's it's just the thing, but, but it's a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and Englehart is really making the point here. No, she's not. Mm -hmm. she's her own person who has the thing's powers yeah but she's not ben right right exactly you know yeah and... I, I i really 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 love 331 mm -hmm. i i think it's, it's a great little issue mm -hmm. and it also has the meta element yes i agree that, that really works yeah you know that that is engelhart it's engelhart managing to make his protest without being a dick about it yeah yeah. You know, and to be honest, I think that 330 is him being a dick about it. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, fuck, I blow up the world. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and 331 is a great, it's, it's pretty much him being like, look, this works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, this this is a fantastic four comic. This is exciting comic. This story works. Well, to, to also and, and, give, give him the benefit of the doubt, which maybe I shouldn't necessarily do, is, you know, Englehart talks on the website about these flashes of the dreams are what he had planned for the next year of the book. I'm pretty sure the Doom Kristoff War was something that would have run two or three issues and instead is crowbarred into one issue and more or less doesn't have an ending. It just, uh, it just has, you know, a, a stopping. And, yeah. and then they blow up the, the earth. Exactly. <laughs> Which exactly. is the ultimate ending, Jim. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so whereas this, I think, was, again, he had the Torino XL set up long in advance. I think he knew where it was going to go. This was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I was going to wrap this up in an issue. This is that issue. And there we go. You know? And, um, yeah, it's just, it's... It's a fun read, like you said. It really does work um, uh, at multiple levels really easily. 332. Mm -hmm. Will anything ever free the fabulous FF? Find out this issue, Stanley Presents Love's Labor's Lost, which has the greatest, again, passive-aggressive opening narration. <laughs> Behold, Dragon Man. When this android was created, he developed a crush on Sue Richards, who, and now he works for the renegade watcher who's frozen her in captivity. Will love be the first to freeze her? Sorry. Yeah. It's so great. It's, it's so great. It would be if Dragon Man were any smarter. It continues on the next page. Yeah. But you know, uh, there I, is a... There's, sorry. The sorry is so great. The sorry. sorry. Although, uh, 
uh, Inglehart's being ironic here because it is ultimately love that does end up freeing them, just not Dragon Man's love for Sue, right? Uh, yes. I see where you're going, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's love that frees them. Interesting. Uh, I I kind of feel like it's uh, it's Johnny's ego. <laughs> no, really, really genuinely. Uh, so this this issue is is Johnny's dream, mm-hmm. uh, and Johnny's dream opens with Crystal returning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crystal comes back and says, essentially, "Look, I tried to make the marriage work, and it didn't work. I mm-hmm. did my duty, right. and now I'm back, mm-hmm. and I'm back. I'm going to rejoin the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and uh, uh, Ben and and Sharon are." uncertain about it mm-hmm. shall we say and also again have a very contentious relationship we're back to where they were in 329 mm-hmm. where the the idea that sharon can't deal with ben being human again yeah uh, um plays out very strongly and also for that matter ben can't deal with sharon having concerns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like like there there is a a noticeable breakdown in in communication yeah between the two mm-hmm. uh which is really interesting because again this shouldn't be in johnny's dream mm-hmm. because johnny there it makes no sense mm-hmm. it only makes sense in the Engelhard is going yeah this is where i was going with the book you guys right sense mm-hmm. um crystal does rejoin the team and they become the fantastic five even though they're still calling themselves the fantastic four and things things are going well. You see Crystal fight again with the team against the Wrecker and against a Cree Sentry and against the Dragon Man. And then you get to the the meat of the issue, which is Sue and Crystal have a, a, a full on fight using powers. Yeah, because Sue is really upset with Crystal being there, and Sue is convinced that Crystal is going to break up Johnny's marriage. Mm-hmm. And and then it turns into like a a cliched cat fight mm-hmm. where like they're ripping at each other's hair under clothes yeah. and no longer arguing about Johnny. Mm-hmm. You're getting old Sue, you had your good years but time is taking its toll. The FF has always run fine without you. And Sue says you're not taking my place. <laughs> and and so they have they have the this this ridiculous fight that I was going to say is broken up by Reed but it's not because the fight actually stops. Yeah, they, they stop fighting but they don't stop fighting. They stop having these super powered fights. Mm-hmm. But they don't up at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 ends with Sue leaving the room, saying, "If you do anything to mess up my brother, you'll see how much you have left to prove." And mm-hmm. I'm walking out. Franklin has been watching all of this in his, his dream state, and and goes back to tell his his dad, and and Reed has it out with Crystal, and their argument is interrupted by Sue, who is essentially like, "We're a family, and we're going to fight." Right, and that's that's just. Like, we're just going to have to deal with it. We're going to have to work it out over a long time because this is how it works. There is no easy solution, which, again, stands to hearts like don't finish things at the end of the issue. Like, yeah. characters have to evolve. The characters have to change. And you have to be okay with patience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get easy solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that then leads to uh, Ben and Shari having having a very similar uh, conversation. Yes. Where where they're like you know this is difficult and um, I like we're different and mm-hmm. we don't know how to be different around each other yeah but but we'll we'll try and make it work 
And then, interestingly enough, Johnny comes in. We're on page 20 of the comic. And Johnny finally makes an appearance in his own dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he confronts Sue with, with, why are you fighting with Crystal? Mm-hmm. What, what, why are you interfering? At which point, Franklin comes in and makes a staggering revelation. Yeah. Which I genuinely wonder if Engelhart had been planning to do. You know? Do, do you think do you think this is where Engelhart was really going, or do you think this is a, a weird Deus Ex Engelhart? Um, dream? I think it is where he's going, because there's enough pieces that are set up. The whole idea of Johnny being in love with two women at the same time, again, set up relatively early on before the return of Reed and Sue. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the idea that Crystal was going to leave and come back. I think this is where he set up. And also the amount of recapping of the Burns story where Franklin. Right. Which which takes up like two and a half pages. Yeah. it, it And I think it's set up that way. It, it's set because it's two and a half pages and it's two and a half pages as far as I can tell, at least as I recall. And I, I should have done the homework and gone back and read the issue it seems like a faithful recounting. You know what I mean? I think Engelhart wants full credit for coming up with this loophole that he was, he read the, he did his homework, figured out his out. And this is what he was planning. He was building to the entire time because it, it brings things basically the for people I hopefully you're God help us if you're actually counting on our recapping to be able to understand these stories. But essentially what happens is um the the story that they're referring to is uh the, the burn story where um Franklin has uh aged himself with his powers, um, attacked his dad, and he is going to like before he turns himself back into a kid, he's going to turn Uncle Ben back into Ben Grimm and he reaches into his mind to do it. But instead of turning him into Ben Grimm, he turns him back into sort of the classic looking thing as opposed to the sort of early lumpen version that Byrne had been redrawing for a while. Uh, Reed finds out, because of course this is Reed know-it-all periods, is, is that he says... He taught uh, when Sue says, "Reed, why didn't Franklin say his power was capable of anything? Why couldn't he cure Ben? He could have Sue, but when he reached into Ben's mind, he found something I never had in my attempts. Ben said many times that he fears Alicia loves him only as the thing, and although he has denied it, it is his deepest fear. Had Franklin cured him, it might have caused Ben severe trauma. There is the tragedy. Alicia is the one spark of joy in Ben's life. Yet so long as he loves her." His mind will reject all cures. So long as there is Alicia, he will always be the thing. And this is from FF245. And then you cut back to the present in this dream sequence of Ben of Franklin saying, I knew that, Daddy. You knew I you know I knew that, and that's how I did the bad thing. In that moment, just as I changed back to a kid, I wanted to make Uncle Ben happy, so I made Auntie Alicia go to Uncle Johnny. And then everybody, of course, flips out. And well, understandably, understandably, it's a, it's a genuinely, again, weirdly creepy, horrifying plot yeah. twist. A plot twist that is also amazingly elegant. Yes, 
And that's why I think that it's something that Engelhart has been building to. Because then Franklin then turns around and says, I'll undo it. I'll undo it all now. And then you have Ben and Alicia being able to be in love and Johnny and Crystal with nothing in their way. And then you see Sherry behind them and you realize that this has wrecked her life, of course, now. And it's she's now perfectly set up. She's and that's why I think that it is Englehart's plan, is Sherry is now perfectly positioned to be the Ben Grimm thing. You know what I mean? Like she has lost the love of her life. She mm-hmm. she doesn't have well, she, she has she has the Marvel angst. Yes, exactly. She has the Marvel angst. She has the no one will ever love me. I'm only just going to ever be a thing without having it be the same stripe because she wants to be the monster, but she's nonetheless lost her her love, the love of her life. Particularly especially after the fact that that Englehart has perfectly set up the, you know, we love each other, but we hate, you know, who they we've become, but we know that we've loved each other. We just have to try and work it out. And, you know, 10 pages later. Yeah, exactly. Pages later is then like, oh, actually, that's not true. Yeah, that's absolutely a complete lie. So I think I think this really is that idea that Englehart is like, when he's told that he's not going to get to do the stuff that he wants to do, he's got a few pieces that he thinks are good enough and strong enough that they deserve to be told. And, you know, he's right. It's, it's, it's a great solution. It's a great setup. Um, You know, it's a cheat and it's also a cheat that falls back on Franklin um, which, you know, Franklin has been enough of a, of an FF story cheat before, but because he has it built into literally built out of a burn story from, you know, issue 245, like what, you know, five years earlier, like you kind of can't fault him. I like, honestly, I give him right. a lot of credit I, I, for it. Well, you know? and also what's great is, so the, the last page, the first one, the last page is, Ben and Alicia and Johnny and Crystal, they're both embracing. They're both very happy. And in the background is Sharon, like arm over face. Yeah. Yes. Almost wailing. Yeah. And then it comes to Sue going, it's, it's the end of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> There's something about that that makes you think, well, that would be the great way to end the issue. Right. You exactly. know, like if there's a regular issue, that's where you end the issue. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing is that then it cuts to, but of course, it's really only a dream. Mm-hmm. Which again is, is wonderful. Uh, uh, undercutting of, of the, the genuine drama that Engelhart is just showing. Yeah. I said before that I think what wakes Johnny up is is not love, but ego. Mm. And it's not only because Johnny in Johnny's dream gets Crystal, mm-hmm. it's that Johnny was, that Sue fought Crystal over Johnny, that Johnny becomes central in the the relationship drama of the FF in a way that the character generally isn't. It's true. Even when Johnny got together with Alicia, you'd think that would have made him much more central to like the relationship dynamics, but it didn't because Ben was gone Mm -hmm. and the rest of the team just sort of accepted it. Mm -hmm. And then when Ben came back, the showdown was in one issue. Mm -hmm. You know? So 
Johnny becomes central to the relationship slash family part of this book in a way that he he is not mm. traditional in the book. And I, 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 it's, I mean, obviously it's not really his ego because there's no way they're going to say that. But, but that's what it reads like to me. Well, Since Johnny, I'm important. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that theory, okay, but, but I, I love my theory more because I feel like, uh, I, you just like the idea that Engelhart set up on the first page and then pays off in the last page. He pay, pays off in the last page. Well, and also because Engelhart. Um, throw, like underscores it in the next issue. He doesn't just let it slide. You know, it's important to him that he he mentioned that it's important to Johnny that he wakes up and then by the end of it he can't he can't remember what it was. And I don't think that it was. Um, I I but you know but uh, these things are open to definitely open to interpretation. Um, you know so. But yeah, but but the end of this issue we should say is. It's pointing out that Johnny is about to wake up. Yes. Nothing, neither external forces nor dreams, is enough to bring the FF back from the sleep of absolute zero, says the caption. Not even the member of FF who can control heat, if his mind could, would only respond, is it? And you see a thermometer. Yeah, the thermometer. Uh, so, it, so it, it, you know, he is quite clearly saying, yeah, Johnny, Johnny is about to wake up. Yep. Whether because of his ego, whether because of something in his dream, who knows? But he's about to wake up, leading to the final issue. Of Steve Englehart run FF three thirty three, the Dream is Dead Part Two. I do love that it's not only is it called the Dream is Dead Part Two, but it then do you see? Yes, Hercules like addressing a security guard, going, "We want the bad fantastic." <laughs> that is the best. That is just the just the I fucking love Engelhart for doing that. Having Hercules angrily demand we want the bad Fantastic Four is hilarious to me. Hilarious to me. We have of course run through all the dream sequences of the Fantastic Four, although we never got to see the Frightful Four dreams. They they might have been wonderful as well. Who can Maybe tell? they were the Dream is Dead Part One. I literally did go online to Google the dream is dead part two and also the dream is dead Steve Englehart to see if I could find like did he have another it's, story it's called another the dream comic, is dead yeah. yeah exactly so it's it's listeners I gotta say we've got some pretty awesome people to listen to this podcast if you happen to know the secret please hip us to it in the comments because I I am dying to know but suffice it to say it really is wonderful enough just for Hercules hollering we want the bad Fantastic Four and they get the bad Fantastic Four who come down in the elevator, and not only does Ben say, bah! He also says, let all who oppose us live in fear. Yeah. Which is great, because this Ben really is, like, not only surly, mm -hmm. but an outright bad guy. Yeah. Which I kind of love. And again, it's weird enough that he then, uh, when addressing the Avengers, who are like, what is going on? Like, mm -hmm. you're not acting like yourselves, this is weird. Ben says, I have always looked like this, you know. I love that. Yeah. There's some beautiful non sequiturs in that Mole Man issue where they're trying to repeat some of the lines. Um, oh, yeah. There's a great bit where, in that issue where Ben uh, turns to the rest of the team and says, you three, you four. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You're all li lily-livered cowards. Like, they're repeating lines that they can't remember. I But 
but the I've always looked like this, you know, is such a this is the closest that I think we'll ever get to Steve Englehart meeting Steve Gerber because because uh, we've be, Englehart's got his like point and his argument to make, but he's also aware that he is really being fucking absurd with it at the same time too. You know? Yeah, it, it, no, but it's great. So, so you see Reed addressing the Avengers and say, we were the first hero team in this world and we haven't changed one bit. And we have no desire to work anything out with Johnny's come lately. Yeah. And, and and the Avengers' response to that, which is just, <laughs> okay, something's up. It actually, it actually has Captain America saying, yeah, which is amazing. Like that's, again, it's like, I think as as I mentioned, you know, like several episodes ago, Englehart's a dude who knows how to write Captain America. So he's 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 clearly taken the piss a little bit. Also, Graham, I have to ask you, because I don't know, did Tom Palmer come in and actually ink the panels with the Avengers in it as like a favor to Rich Buckler? Or is Buckler just swiping the most recent issue of the Avengers, because they look really shockingly on brand. Yeah, no, no, no. Buckler is, is swiping. Mm. Buckler is swiping heavily because okay. it doesn't really look like Tom Palmer. In places, it looks again at the, at the bottom of page two. Mm-hmm. The Hercules shouting is very Buscemi-esque. Right. But like, if you look on page four, that doesn't look like a, a, a Buscemi or Palmer. Uh, Captain America or Hercules. Yeah, I so suppose it, that's one of those like the swipe, swipes are great when he has something to swipe from. Right, like the bottom of page four, I would say that's a pretty good Basama Hercules. Right, um, or if with, you look at panel two of um, page three, that looks to me that literally looks swipe. Oh, that from... Captain America looks very, very, very Tom mm-hmm. Palmer inking. Exactly, it? but yeah. none of the rest of the characters do. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, you know, so it's it, it's again, it's where he's. Swipes work where he has something to swipe from. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it, it falls down. And again, on page five, where Hercules is hit uh, with with two hammer fists from Reed. First of all, gong as a sound effect is wonderful. But secondly, I'm sure that's a swipe. I'm sure the Hercules there is a swipe. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what from, but it just feels so familiar. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, anyway, we're, we're talking art art details when we should be saying that the Avengers and the fake Fantastic Four have a, a full-on fight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's it's not going well for anyone. And then all of a sudden, the fake Fantastic Four disappear. Yep. Hercules, would you like to give the best exclamation ever? Yes, he would. Buy my beard! They're all gone! <laughs> I love that. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Buy my beard. Yep. Jeff, why do you say what else happens in the issue? Well, so basically the FF are trying to uh, the Avengers are trying to figure out what happened to the FF and then they see like a ship go uh, shoot off the top of the Four Freedoms Plaza, so they're all like, "Well, let's follow that." But in fact, what happens is the FF are not in the ship, the fo- the Fantastic Four. They have been Oh, uh, the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Foe. Yes, thank you. The Fantastic Foe. <laughs> <laughs> and end up inside a, uh, uh, a, a canyon in Western Canada and are drawn into a big cave where they basically find the real FF fighting the Frightful Four 
and a dragon man. And they're like, wait, what? So uh, to use the term name from our other podcast, uh, it yes, it's the FF face to face with the FF and managing to piece together what happened to them while still managing to slug it out with the frightful four. Uh, so it really, again, this sort of seems unfortunately so heavily truncated because you really have the Fantastic Four, the Fantastic Foe, and the Frightful Four all hammering it out in a big cave and then more or less managing to sort of semi-talk it out uh, to explain what happened, which is essentially that um, uh, Johnny says... Uh, Something woke me up just enough so I could raise my own temperature and then arose the rest of the FF. While I was coming to, though, I heard Aaron calculating away. He was watching you on an alien TV, calling you his action figures, telling Dragon Man that he could never control the real FF so he'd made his own. To which the foe Johnny Storm is like, no, no, that's not true. And of course the foe Ben says, bah, I'm already much like a clone, a bad clone. Being a clone does not frighten me. And of course the foe Reed being... Of course, the foe read. He's like, oh, yeah, of course, what everyone's telling me, I've already figured out. I've spent so much time trying to wonder why why this might be the case, but I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And Johnny says, that's because Aaron was controlling you. But now Aaron's frozen solid, just like we were. We stuffed him in one of his own tubes when he woke up. And it's impressive how comically inelegant uh, Aaron is sort of jammed uh, right. in the tubes he's just like oh dear his legs are sticking out the his tube. legs are sticking out yeah it's just at a comical angle you know um, as he froze the frightful four was automatically restored we thought that was plenty then you came also automatically but don't you see you're free now and basically what happens is the fantastic foe say we like I, the we... lives we've been living Whatever we are, we are alive. We're the Fantastic Four now. And it is perhaps telling that Reed Richards is like, I am Mr. Fantastic. I am Mr. Fantastic. And maybe that's just to get a response from the wizard, who, of course, in Englehart's run, his, is in fierce competition with Reed Richards and is basically like, what you know, fuck Reed Richards. This should all be about the wizard. Um, and then basically more fighting breaks out. But it's basically the Fantastic Four versus the faux Fantastic Four with the Frightful Four as sort of a little bit of a soupçon on the side. Uh, I, I do love that the, the wizard is pretty much like, fuck Reed Richards. I don't care which Reed Richards it is. Just yeah. fuck them. Fuck both of them. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Fuck all the Reed Richards. Yeah. Well, he's that way first, but then he actually at a certain point isn't his argument like – Literally, after listening to everyone, uh, the the two FFs well, fight, basically... It's really listening to the two FFs have opposing uh, intellectual soliloquies yes. about the nature of free will. Yeah. Well, nature and, of, and evolution. Yeah. And nature of evolution, which I think is really, really important because uh, essentially... Hydro-Man is the first one who says, makes me sick listening to the clones argue for stagnation. And Wizard says, a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's heavens for? And then uh, Claw says, if we'd stayed as we were, which is kind of hilarious, because it's fucking Claw, man. Come on. So, uh, basically... Hey, Claw went, Claw went through a lot of growth. <laughs> he, he's just out of Secret Wars, 
where he was turned, uh, he was sliced up mm-hmm. and used in Doctor Doom's machine. Yep. He went crazy. He's yep. now back from being crazy. He's yeah. had a he's had a journey, Jeff. He he insists that he has had a journey. So he has had look look. Shut up. He's had a journey. <laughs> when he first appeared, when he first appeared, he wasn't. He didn't look like that. Remember, he looked like the the, the he had the bad beard. That's true. He had the bad beard. You're right. He's evolved a long way. As he pointed out he, to Hydra Man, he's aware that he can get his ass beat, and he's a little more cautious now. Yes, the fantastic growth of Ulysses J. Claw. It's been remarkable, ladies and gentlemen. The that is, epic... That's Jeff's new book, everyone. <laughs> it's going to be available uh, in all good bookstores. In all good bookstores everywhere. I'm Larry King. <laughs> where, where, where did that come from? I don't know. I just suddenly the the all good bookstores. I think it's one of those Manchurian Candidate uh, like post hypnotic suggestions, and I'm just going to like pretend I'm Larry King for the rest of this. Graham McMillan, we're here talking about Fantastic Four three thirty three, an amazing issue. I've read it several times. I just want to ask you, Ulysses J. Claw, tell me about his growth. Tell me about his life. <laughs> Uh, are you? Is the J real? Are you making the J up? Honestly, I don't know. I swear to God, I half think the J is real, but it's probably made up. Okay, I'm looking up Ulysses Claw now. <laughs> Graham McMillan. We'll, find, we'll soon find out. We'll soon find out. He I'm is talking just here Ulysses to Graham Claw. McMillan. He's, He's in the process Ulysses of looking Claw. up whether Ulysses J Claw is a J. He's actually Ulysses Claw. Oh, really? He's the son of Nazi warrior. Colonel Fritz Clow of the Blitzkrieg squad led by Baron Strucker. Oh, of course, the Blitzkrieg Scrowd Claws. I remember them. <laughs> so you used to hang out with them in Connecticut, isn't that correct? We did. Back in Connecticut, we would go and listen to Benny Goodman play on the waters <laughs> over Lake Manitoba. I was with my fifth wife then. Anyway, um... <laughs> Coming up on tomorrow's show, Sylvester Stallone is here to be talking with me about our choices I, in steroids and hair pieces. I, ha- I have a question. Just one question, and we'll get back to Fantastic Four. You were in Connecticut on the banks of Lake Manitoba. That's correct. Jeff Larry King, where's Lake Manitoba? <laughs> okay, I'll just ask you this question. What country is Lake Manitoba in? It's in the Canadian portion of Connecticut. Moving on. Yes. As the FF fights the FF and the FF, because they're all FFs after all, um, the as as Jeff was pointing out, the Fantastic Four, sorry, the Frightful Four, decide that they are indeed going to come to the aid of the real Fantastic Four because they are disgusted by the the clones and the clones' argument essentially for never changing, mm-hmm. uh, because the clones are genuinely like Clone Johnny says. I'm a kid forever. You know, they, they are outright saying we are, we have not changed and we never will change. That's right. We refuse to change. Um, and so the wizard comes in with his only fucking trick, his gravity-defying discs. Mm-hmm. So they fly away and then who even really cares? The Fantastic Four win, the Frightful Four run away, including Titania, who literally does nothing this issue. There's actually some panels of her getting punched in the cave. Uh, she and Sherry are punching each other that, for a panel or two, yeah. Well, that's, that, okay, that's but equal fatal. But in the battle, uh, in, in the FFFFFF battle, she does nothing. The Frightful Four are, are basically 
the escape Reed says we're human we we should like we should be pals now and the wizard's like nope it's not happening <laughs> sure we're human but I don't like you I think you're a dick I'm always gonna think you're a dick we're not friends until Jonathan Hickman's gonna show up just just deal with it oh man Aaron gets out of his test tube because of course he wasn't frozen solid he's a fucking watcher mm-hmm and he goes, I've seen the error of my ways. The error of my ways was using you guys in first place. I should have I should have had a great plan where I'm I'm going to try something else and I'm going to move on to phase three when I freeze the clones and watch their dreams. Yes. And again, Englehart being Englehart says has Aaron say it's the dreams not the reality which excite me in this universe well that's what I was going to say it's it feels like the ultimate um fuck you to Marvel Mm -hmm. where he 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 says that it's much that the reality is not important that Mm -hmm. that that evolution he has in his final issue he has the character say no you have to change you have to grow Mm -hmm. and then the war uh, the watcher who has been the stand-in for Marvel mm-hmm. in, in their thinking of this, says, no, mm-hmm. I don't care for the reality. I don't care for evolution. Yeah. I want to watch what happens with these people who refuse to grow. Yep. He then sends the Fantastic Four back to Four Freedom Plaza, where they're like, oh, what? How, how, how did we wake up? And Johnny's like, there was a dream, but I don't remember it. Yeah, again, Ben says, listen, kid, you got to tell me what was the dream that woke you up and got us out of all that. And he says, I wish I could tell you, Ben, but you know how dreams are sometimes. Now that I'm awake, I can't quite remember. But here's the crazy thing, Jeff. We didn't see him wake up in the last issue. Uh, that's true. So whatever woke him up happened after the thing that we saw. Mm, disagree. Because I feel like... <laughs> Yeah. We saw the dream, and we saw him, and he wasn't awake. He wasn't awake, but we saw the thermometer moving. He was waking up, as per the his per his description earlier in this issue. Anyway, cut from that to the Avengers. Remember them who were following the Quinjet that, that took off? Sorry, the rocket that took off. Remember yeah. that? It's it's in California, which mm-hmm. we know because Captain America helpfully says. California. Yep. Which, which I love. Wonderfully, as the Doctor Strange and Captain America lands, they are joined by the West Coast Avengers, who just show up because I think Steve Englehart just wants to write the West Coast Avengers again for a panel. Uh, and the rocket opens to reveal Franklin Richards and Alicia. Yep. And Alicia and Franklin explain that they realized that that wasn't the real FF. And, and, they, uh, Alicia went to Franklin to ask him to use his powers. Franklin's powers, he says, got him into their dreams and that told them everything. Here's my question. Did Franklin wake Johnny up? Oh, that's a, that's a possible. That's a possible, yeah. Uh, also, Franklin must be seriously fucked up if he went into everyone's dreams. Your mother dreamt about the world's ending. Yep. Just... No wonder your hair suddenly looks like a mess. Also, Franklin's hair changes significantly between panel two and panel four of this last page of the story. Yes. Just want to put that out there. Uh, Rich Buckler, you, you're the most inconsistent artist. <laughs> anyway, the reason they're in California is he's come to the home of John Harkness, the writer of the FF comic book, 
and says, Mr. Harkness, you're the writer of the FF comic booth. He says, and it'd be nice if you could write a comic to let everyone know my daddy's really a good guy and this was all a mistake. <laughs> the final panel of this story is John Harkness looking at the reader and saying, I'll try, but it might take a better man than me to straighten out this mess. The next page is a pinup by Walter Simonson that says, next issue, a new beginning. Yep. The thing smoking a cigar and saying, and you better be here or I'll stick my sweet Aunt Petunia on you. It's amazing. Yeah. It's in capping a run of quite so many pieces of passive aggressive uh, moves on Engelhardt's uh, end. I do feel that putting this pin up after John Harkness's line mm-hmm. is the greatest fuck you back from editorial. <laughs> well, you know, in a way, Engelhart is, I mean, there's lots of fuck yous, but it's a very gracious. It, it, it's his fight, his ending, his, mm-hmm. like Harkness is, 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 will take a better man than me, is astoundingly gracious. Yeah. I think so. After taking shots at Marvel for yeah. three issues, yeah. or more than three issues at this point, yeah. it really is a very gracious way to end. Yeah, because he's he's basically saying like I, you know, I, I, I can't do this. I, I like I can't do it, and I've got no beef uh, with Walt Simonson. Also, I love the fact that because he is Harkness, I'm assuming, even though his hair is blonde, he has a a ridiculous sort of brunette hairpiece on top of his head right. i i don't i don't even know what that's about because in the previous panel his hair is all brown oh yeah you're right well i think that's a mistake and i feel like it maybe in the marvel you uh the marvel unlimited version it's they, 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 get they it. Fix it. yeah let me let me double check that really quickly um, um here's but here's the funny thing that thing art by simonson mm-hmm. i'm fairly sure is a, a reuse of a this is completely anal and someone will be able to I, this is such a specific reference i'm going to make i'm sure someone will be able to tell me if i'm making this up or not i think the art was actually created as a pinup for a comic convention in the uk the year before mm, i believe it i believe it because it's not you know there's a number of things that are going on with it yeah yeah it's, it's remarkably loose yeah yeah um, it's it's a fun sketch though it's a fun. It's a really fun sketch, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it, but putting that there after uh, Engelhart's last words mm-hmm. really does feel like editorial or like fuck you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's well, and then some of the letters. The they bring back the letters pages, and there there is some. Oof. There's some. There's some. Been some. Oh, some passive aggressive. Yeah. There's there's some shade being thrown right back. Uh it's it's quite a series of issues, man. I have to say, like, despite the fact that Engelhart is is openly warring with Marvel editorial, the fact of the matter is, I guess because they had no other choice in a way, they let him do like they let him do a lot. Like the idea, imagine today's Marvel or today's DC or today's any fucking company. Yeah. Where the writer is clearly at war with editorial mm-hmm. on the page, mm-hmm. and and slipping this amount of of passive aggressive, uh, like the captions are, are outright saying, yeah, this is a good story, but it's not good enough for Marvel. Yeah, right. This is what Marvel wants. 
you know, Mar- Marvel want clones. Marvel yeah. would rather have the characters don't not evolve. Right. Like it's it's genuinely amazing that Engelhart got away with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I... also, like, I genuinely think, with the exception of you know, the Doctor Doom issue is kind of weird. Sue's dream is kind of weird. But but I love I love the Ultron issue. Yeah. And I really kind of love the 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 Johnny stream. Mm-hmm. No, I do you know, too. There, there's 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 great stuff there. Yeah. Again, three thirty three is a bit too packed for yeah. its own good. Yeah, three thirty three uh, and even three thirty is a bit too packed. Is is way too packed for its own good. That's one that I feel like just doesn't really quite work out. But but we we both really enjoyed the sociopathic mm-hmm. FF. Absolutely. In in three twenty nine, like there's a surprising amount of good stuff. Yeah. In these issues. No, exactly. You know, and that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Inkelhart's ability to to tell a story while, you know, at at a deep level of meta, it's it's not it's in no way subtle, but it is um really just consistently enjoyable, you know? Um you know, it's it's not it's not the best stuff. And again, if you look at it, the art just makes it seem like a calamity. I think honestly, if you'd had better art it wouldn't seem like i mean you could argue that basically a hundred issues earlier the ff were kind of in the same hole you know like doesn't doesn't burn take come in and start writing burn, it burn, like 230 takes over. yeah 230 Two, uh, 232 yeah and yeah. he's taken over from like munch and Sinkevich, who are just not suited for the book yeah so God bless them. I, I would say that the book that more or less falls apart after issue 200 um, and is just in shambles for a, for a long stretch of time, Englehart has the FF for approximately the same amount of time, you know, from post 300 on and does a much better version of it. I, find, I found this run just pretty remarkably entertaining overall there's parts that were really frustrating of course but you know and but it's it really it it had its moments and even here even at the moments where he's completely unhappy and you know uh, lambasting management he's still telling stories that are fun even as he's undercutting them which is which is which is kind of a it's that's that's pretty rare I feel you know well that's just it like it's it's genuinely impressive mm-hmm. that in his his uh, unhappy exit unhappy protracted exit from the story yeah from the series mm-hmm. that it reads so well yeah you know like we know he's unhappy in large part because he's told us afterwards on his website that he's unhappy mm-hmm. but if you didn't know that you'd think like this is a weirdly meta run but it's it's still fun right yeah no you know mhm mhm yeah it's it's genuinely i think he i think the Engelhart run is really strong and very underrated yeah oh i, I know think there's, so. there's there's definitely there's definitely bits that go off the rails but honestly I think you can't have an Engelhart run that doesn't go off the rails. <laughs> no, like genuinely, like I think ha- you, for it to be a proper Engelhart run, there has to be bits where it just you're like, oh no, 
no, don't, don't do that. No, don't. Oh, shit. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure. I mean, because I know that, uh, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. I, I should sit down and do the math. But I feel like Englehart seems to have a lot of times where he's just yanked off the book. You know what I mean? Like, or yeah. the book is shot well, out from all, underneath all of his, all of his, like, 1980s Marvel stuff. Yeah, all of his 80s Marvel you know, stuff. Like, but... uh, Vice Coast Avengers gets yanked away from him, and right. uh, doesn't Silver Surfer? Isn't he, is he fired off Silver Surfer? I don't well? know, but it wouldn't surprise me. He talks about it on West Coast Avengers. Captain America gets, he gets kicked off the book so Kirby can come in. So he doesn't even get a chance to wrap up all of his stuff, you know. And he gets kicked off of Avengers. Yeah. Right, so yeah. I mean, at least as far as Marvel goes, it's it's lit. You literally, there's hardly a run I can think of of any length whatsoever where more or less the powers that be don't come down and literally yank the book right out of his hands. You know? Yeah, he's he's very good at he's very good at saying goodbye. <laughs> he's had a lot of practice. He's had a lot of practice leaving leaving series. Yeah, it's which is which is amazing and kind of kind of a shame because he really is in so many ways, um, you know, it, it's for a guy that I think of and I know that he did a lot of work at DC and a lot of very definitive work there. But, oh, but for you, he's always a Marvel guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I mean, I, I, it's funny for me. He's he's weirdly DC, mm -hmm. but that's only because of. Uh, he was still writing for DC when I started reading. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know? yeah. So like, so like, he's, he's a DC guy, like Green Lantern Corps. That that's that's Englehart. Yeah, yeah. Although he's... I said I think he was reading West Coast Adventures at the same time, so I don't know why he, he hasn't imprinted in the same way. But yeah, right. No, which is funny. But for me, it was definitely. I remember a kid in my like I don't know third or fourth grade class handing me a copy of like Captain America like one seventy four or something like that. And just, and, and that was, that was it for me, you know? Uh, so, but, but it is amazing that for a guy that, yeah, like I see as one of the great Marvel writers as, as literally being someone who like, yeah, and just got, just got time and time again, just more or less had, uh, just peed in the pool to the point where, you know, people like people just came in with the the little scoop and collar and dragged him out of there and it's it's kind of a shame so this run in particular kind of emphasizes the the loss you know like the ultron stuff is great yeah. and and i would have i would love to have seen where if he had played out the the johnny alicia ben thing the way that he did in, in that issue yeah where he would have taken that yeah where would and, he have and, gone with it you mm -hmm. know where would where would the ben and sherry stuff have gone yeah would sherry have stayed in the book you know right. like there, there's all these things that he sets up and doesn't answer while at the same time like just giving great hints about oh and i was going to do this as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it, it's it really is it's a, a a wonderful way to say goodbye to the book by kind of weirdly being teasy about how much energy he still had and how many ideas he still had. Right. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, it, you are you're going to be missed. Although at the same time, you are and you aren't because the Simonson run is great. Yeah, Simonson run, I'm I'm looking forward to revisiting it. Um he says with some trepidation, you know. 
So have you have you ever read the first three issues, which aren't which are Simonson and Buckler? I feel like I have. I feel like I have, but maybe I haven't. I love Simonson, and we'll obviously get to this in the next episode. But I love Simonson's writing a lot because it's very dryly humorous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he basically has two two speeds, sort of dryly, you know, a dry sense of humor, mm-hmm. or cosmically epic. Right. Those are the two Simonsons you get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes very quickly into cosmically epic as soon as he takes over drawing the book. Yeah. But the first three issues are Simonson just being like, oh, the Fantastic Four is a weird comic, huh? <laughs> then there's some lame villains in Marvel. Wonder what I can do with those two things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, next episode, we're going to do those three issues and then the first arc of Simonson drawing. So that means we're doing 334 through 341. It really is a, a, a fun run. I, I, I think I've said this before. I think it might be my favorite FF. It's interesting. Uh, with, yeah. Apart from Kirby, but I think it's my favorite FF. Mm-hmm. We'll see if I still think that after we, we reread it. And, and another creator who gets essentially, I was going to say booted off the title. He leaves by his own volition, I think, but not. he had a longer run planned. He just became so unhappy at Marvel. He he left. Um, and then, of course, we get the seventy million issues of Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan, Oof. An, an artist whose art style is as exciting as the uh, politician who shares his name. <laughs> just gonna throw that out there. Anyway, there will be show notes up for this episode at waitwadpodcast.com on Monday. Uh, there is a podcast. There is a podcast. Of course, there is. There is a podcast. You should it's listen to it. It's good. It. I'm Larry King, recommending the Wait What podcast. Sorry. Here's here's the thing, listeners. Jeff told me prime can we record earlier? Because I think by the time we get to nine thirty, I'm going to be done. It is nine twenty four, and Jeff is very quickly proving that he was correct. <laughs> I have. I'm also almost done by saying there's a podcast, even though you're listening to it. There's a Tumblr at waywattpods.tumblr.com where I post just random excerpts of comics that are uh, either I've been reading or are on my mind for one reason or another. There is also a Twitter account at waywattpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account solo at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-C-I-D. I have a Twitter account solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And the Baxter Building exists as this thing that you're listening to because of the kindness of strangers, not all of whom are strangers, but through something called Patreon. Jeff, take it away, baby. (laughs) I'm Larry King, and I'm here to talk to you about Insure, Insure Energy Drinks. When you're 137, it can be hard to chew food, and it can be hard to keep your weight up. That's the great thing about Insure. Chock full of fiber and tons of protein. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. I... I... No, no, keep going. Keep going. (laughs) Insure gives you the boost that you need to have when you're up to the double digits in spouses. Insure. 9.26 right now, everyone. Four minutes before Jeff falls apart. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm on a tight time deadline. People... We love you. You are great. We're so glad that you uh, listen to us. I mean, let's face it. You listen to Graham anyway, but it takes it takes a certain individual to actually be able to put up with me as well. So, Are you asking uh, people tune in for you and now Larry King? <laughs> that's right. We have it all. We have it all for you coming up later on the show this week. 
Uh, anyway, uh, Patreon, you guys are great. All the listeners are wonderful, but the fact that there are a few uh, among you who feel that um, it's important to throw us a little bit of cash for appreciation for all the, the the freeness that we have given you guys over the years makes us feel really good. Like I said, there's something deeply screwed up and um, sadly kind of American, I guess, that Graham and I uh, are able to actually feel validated by uh, little bits of um, uh, what people might call fat stacks or big loot, um, rather than just knowing uh, that. Uh, don't get us wrong. Dosh. 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 Damn it! <laughs> I miss you, Dosh. I'm sorry. I love fat stacks. I want to be known as DJ Fat Stacks. Maybe I'll be buried as MC Fat Stacks. I don't know, but I do. Oh, I, do I feel thought sad. for a second you were going to say he wants to be Barry Fat Stacks. Barry Fat Stacks. That would be great. That somehow seems like just such a, an inherently uh, British name for some reason. Um, well, yeah, on every level. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, we, we appreciate you. We appreciate the listeners. We appreciate the patrons. And we especially appreciate the uh, kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for their continuing support of this podcast and uh, for our continuing existence, uh, celestial and otherwise. We are, we're very thankful. And, um, you know, honestly, uh, let me know if I should never do my Larry King invitation again, because I'm pretty sure that's the case. But I, God help me, I don't really know for sure. Graham? Nope, nope. Larry King's coming back many times in the future with Dick Van Dyke and Alan Moore. <laughs> that, that's a promise. It's not a promise I can make, but it's a promise Jeff just made in his head right now. <laughs> if we're lucky there'll be an audio play of Larry King interviewing Dick Van Dyke and oh, Alan Moore. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, that would oh. be the ex- the most excellent. Can that be like a Patreon special? It, it should be. should be. Maybe I'll have to sit down and, and, and piece together a script. Oh, my God. What are you making me no, contemplate, no, what, no, not even script. That's when you just freestyle. <laughs> That's when you freestyle. You're right. Thanks to the miracle of freestyling and heavy audacity editing, I'm sure that I can come up with an amusing... No, um... what's this editing? No, just go between the voices. <laughs> Graham, you don't know what you're asking. You really just don't know what you're asking for. Anyway. I, I think it asking for people we will be back uh, next week with a regular rate watch and we'll be back in a month with another baxter building where we'll be talking about issues 334 to 341 aka walter simonson arrives at the fantastic four looks around and says i can make this weird <laughs> jeff it's a baxter building which means you sing us out i do indeed thank you so much for joining us everyone and we'll see you next time in the lobby of the baxter building